This is Movies for the Blind, episode 169, Dark Journey, part two of two. Bless your sense of humor, hmm? Hello, and welcome to Movies for the Blind, where you can enjoy films without looking at a screen. I'm Valerie Hunter. We continue on our dark journey, and time to take a look at the other half of our romantic couple, an actor who had a career filled with a wide variety of characters. Mainly in his German silent film career, Conrad Veidt played everyone from Ivan the Terrible to Frederick Chopin to possibly the first gay character written for a movie in Different from the Others in 1919. Later on, he starred in The Man Who Laughed, about a man who's punished for his father's crimes against a king by having his face carved into a permanent freakish grin. And that grin is said to have influenced Bob Kane for the look of the Joker in the Batman comic books and everything to follow. This film is typical of the ones Veidt did after leaving Nazi Germany for England in the early 30s. Baron Karl von Marwitz has deserted the German army of World War I for a playboy life in neutral Stockholm, Sweden, but he's finally met his match in Madeleine, played by Vivian Lee, a gorgeous and clever owner of an exclusive fashion boutique. But the fashions she gets from Paris help her other life as a German spy. Before dating the Baron, she was seeing one-armed British agent Bob Carter, who has been trying to investigate her loyalties. But more threatening is the murder of her porter, Anatole, who, of course, was not all he seemed. The fallout and the reasons for the murder are about to emerge in the conclusion of Dark Journey. Later, Madeline looks down through a small window as Anatole's body is covered with a sheet. You identify the man? She nods and steps toward chairs with Bob. Do you know anything of his life? Despairing, she sits down. Only that he was a most faithful and devoted servant. Quite. Bob sits. In business hours. But you had no reason to suspect him of pro-German activities. How could I? He hated them. The inspector sits. Some interesting German correspondence was found on him, however. Uh, let me see, Miss Goddard. You are Swiss, aren't you? Yes. I suppose you have dealings with a good many Germans, don't you? I have clients of all nationalities. And yet you had no idea that the faithful and devoted Anatole was a spa. She's already said she... Silence, has... please. I beg your pardon. Is it necessary to distress the lady any further? I'm sorry to press the question, but I must have all the information you can give the court. Willingly. But I can only tell you that I've lost a friend. Thank you. That is all for the present. Later, alone, Madeline returns to her apartment adjoining the shop. Passing Maud. She enters her rooms and finds the third man in Muller. Do you know who did it? Possibly someone from the Cherry Orchard. It's terrible. She takes off her hat. Something much more terrible has happened. It was all live. What? Your information about the French counteroffensive. But there was an attack. Yes. And our army stopped it. But it stopped the wrong attack. The real one came in another part of the line where our troops had been withdrawn, thanks to your information. But... Your partners in Paris are either incompetent or they're working for French counter-espionage. That's impossible. What do you think went wrong? I don't know. But you're going to find out. You go to Paris. She stares at Muller. 
then sits with them. No, Doctor. I say yes. You forget what happened here tonight. It's suicide. It's duty. She stands. But I'm swimming. You're a member of our organization? You know what that means? Considering. She sits down again. What are my orders? You will find out what's gone wrong with our organization. And what has become of K124 and 5? Muller stands. You get detailed instructions in due course. The others stand. You leave tomorrow by the Gothenburg Road. Muller gets his hat and crosses the room with the third man following. He opens the door to let the third man leave, then looks back at Madeline and leaves himself. Madeline steps to a chair and pauses, thinking. The men go down the stairs. You will be getting her another porter. Later, Madeline starts writing a note. Dear Carl, she stops, thinking of what to say, then cranks the telephone on her desk and picks up the receiver. The Grand Hotel, please. Is that the Grand Hotel? Can I speak? She hangs up. At the hotel switchboard. Hello. Hello. The operator pulls out the connection. Madeline picks up her pen again, dips it in ink, and continues writing. to Paris on urgent affairs for the shop. Later at the hotel desk, Carl reads the note as a man behind him speaks to a clerk. Carl considers, then checks his watch. The boat train leaves in half an hour, doesn't it? Yes, sir. He puts the note in his jacket pocket and his monocle in his eye. Thank you. He hurries away. Later at the station, Madeline makes a transaction with a man beside her at a counter, then heads for her train. She gives a ticket to a worker, walks across the platform, and boards the Gothenburg train. She makes her way through the car, then steps into a compartment and sits beside another woman. A porter loads luggage on a shelf above her. Madeline tips him, and he leaves the compartment. On the platform, an official raises a sign, and the train starts to pull away, with crowds waving to their departing loved ones. Behind a wall nearby, Carl stands, staring into space. On the train, Bob's colleague, who had visited Anatole, stands in the hall lighting the pipe. Glances at Madeline, reading in her compartment. He looks away, smoking, as she keeps reading intently. Later, a whistle blows on the ship, which soon powers through the open water. The captain looks through binoculars at the German sub-crew rushing to their gun. And soon after, Madeline stands again with her life belt. The matrons knock on doors. The passengers file out. Madeline joins the crowds heading on deck and waits. Later, 
a large crate is swung from a cable, stamped on it, Charon, Le Havre, France. In a crowded terminal, soldiers walk through as civilian passengers stand in lines. Madeline stands behind a man at one of the desks. When he leaves with his passport, she approaches and hands the official hers. Watched by four men, including Bob's colleague, the official looks at the passport, then her, then the passport again, then Bob's colleague, who nods. Madeline got out. Will you step this way, please? She steps around the desk and follows the official to a door, which he opens. Stepping through. Please sit down. She sits at the desk of another official. What made you come to France again? Uh, for our business. What business? There were difficulties with my firm. Coutins. What difficulties? Well, their prices are too high even for wartime. Couldn't you write? I did. Without much success. Madeleine Goddard, you go to Paris under escort. You are under arrest. Later, she rides on a train beside the second official. In another office. Are your sympathies with France? No. With Germany? No, I'm a neutral. There's a German secret service in Stockholm? Yes, sir. How did you know? Well, everyone knows. There's a French and British one, too. Have you met anybody belonging to the German service? I may have. One never knows in Stockholm. You had an employee called uh, Anatole Bergen? I had. Was he a member of the German service? The Swedish police seem to think so. But you never knew? No, I never knew. Very well, you will remain under arrest for the moment. The official stands, and so does Madeline. They step to the office doors, and as the official opens them, she turns back. My business house may be anxious. Would you send a word to Maison Cortin? That can be arranged. Thank you. She leaves. Later, a sign on a door reads, Cortin ici, Club, Manteau, Nouveau, Gros et Détail. Madeline opens the door, then steps inside. A woman approaches. Ah, oh, Madeline, how's the journey? They kiss on both cheeks. Any submarines about? Oh, the usual number. And how's that? Oh, the war, you know. Oh, Monsieur Coutin. Ah, oh, Madeline, my dear, I'm delighted to see you. I've got lots of new models to show you, and I'm sure that all our differences can be quite easily smoothed out. Coutin opens double doors, and they cross another room. Nice calm trip. Well, the weather was calm enough. Usual hold-ups and alarms, weren't Yes, yeah, not very pleasant, traveling in water. He opens another door, but only she goes in, closing the door. He thinks. In the next room. I'm so glad to see you again. I'm afraid your reception in France is hardly what you had a right to expect. She sits. No, I he takes a small box from his pocket and opens it for her. She accepts it. It's a medal. The Medal Militaire. The highest award that France can give one of her soldiers. Excellency, I... That represents the real feelings of a grateful country. His Excellency takes it back. It'll be my safekeeping until the day comes when you can wear it. May that be soon. He puts it in a drawer and sits. Tell me, why did they send you back again? They say my partner's in Paris, either incompetent or working for the French counter-espionage. I should prefer them to think we're incompetent. Do they know about K-1, 2, 4, and 5? That's what they sent me to find out. Firing squad? He half nods. K-1, 2, 5 was a woman, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. In the central post office. Poor soul. 
He considers her, then stands and puts a comforting arm around her shoulder. Your Excellency, forgive me. Forgive you for what? She looks up at him. Don't send me back to Stockholm. We need you. Haven't I done enough? He sits on a desk. Too much to fail us now. I can't face it. I can't. After three years of misery, to pretend, to cheat, to lie. It's degrading. He stands. Is it because of Margaret's? What do you know about him? Only that he has been taking up a great deal of your time. Leaning on the chest of drawers, he watches her stand and pull on her gloves. He approaches. All right, I'll meet you halfway. Make this one last effort and you can come back to France for good. And what is the last effort? Find out who's the head of Section 8. But isn't it Dr. Miller? I don't know. There's another German in Stockholm that I'm rather interested in. This is for your information. Bob's colleague reads a document in front of the official who'd brought Madeline to Paris. You must think me a prize fool. You do the British intelligence an injustice. At least I shall know who's who in Stockholm. Well, now you know. Please forget. They shake hands. I've already forgotten Madeline Goddard's name. Later at the club in Stockholm, Madeline and Carl meet for dinner. To your everlasting love. It didn't last three weeks. But it did? Yes, dear. They sip champagne. To your marriage vows, which are forgotten. But they are not. They sip again as they're served. Then why are you looking at me that you've never seen me before? Because I'm not sure I have. Yes, please. Carl is served more food as they both start eating. Stopped by a submarine. Arrested. Grilled by the Paris police. And there you sit, the slip of a girl, looking as if it were all in the day's work. What of it? You frighten me. I suppose I'm a coward. Nonsense. And what have you been doing while I've been flirting with death and destruction? Oh, trembling for you. And wondering what I should do when you return. And have you made up your mind? I told you I was a coward. He glances across the room at Lupita on the arm of a soldier. Prisoners of war? Yes, from Siberia. He puts in his monocle as a line of soldiers and escorts walk by. Who is it? One of my best friends, Otto von Berndorf. Hello, Otto! He stands and Otto stops. I read that you were a deserter. He slaps Carl. He raises a hand, but everyone in the room turns to them, including Madeline. Major D intervenes and Carl smiles. Ask him if you want satisfaction. Gentlemen, please. Orchestra, please. The Major D moves the soldiers along. Disturbed, Madeline stands. As the soldiers get further away, Carl's smile fades. He turns and finds Madeline is gone. He spots her starting up a flight of stairs. Tossing money on their table, he rushes after her. She reaches the sidewalk outside and waits for a cab. One pulls up, and a doorman opens the back door for her as Carl hurries out. Too late to catch her riding away, he hails another cab. Later, Madeline steps past Maud into her rooms. Carl stops Maud from closing the door and follows Madeline. <laughs> what did you run away for? She keeps her back to him. So he turns to a bar. Why spoil a perfectly wonderful evening? He opens a decanter. There's a greater force than all the armies in the world. He pours. Stupidity. If you want the public brawl. I wanted to see you kill that man. <laughs> oh, Madeline. 
Kill a decent boy on his first night out after three years in Siberia. Come. He turns her toward him. Where's your sense of humor, hmm? She steps away from him, then sits down. He follows. Well, at least I've succeeded in convincing you that I'm a coward. You have. Good night. Anyway, that's how you feel. Good night. He starts walking away. Carl. Hmm? They turn to each other. I think you're the bravest man who ever served his country. That's very sweet of you. He holds a cigarette in his mouth. But how do I serve my country? As a deserter? She approaches him. As head of Section 8 of the German intelligence. Stunned, he takes the cigarette from his mouth. When did you find out? Tonight at the Grand Hotel. And why do you tell me? Because you must know that I'm in the German service too. Dropping the cigarette, he takes her head in his hands. I know more than that. I know that you're not Swiss. You're French. I know your name isn't Godard, but Montigny. And I know that you've outwitted us for three years while you were serving your country. As I served mine. She stares at him wide-eyed. Then relaxes. Thank God. No more lies. She slips her arms around him, and they kiss. And now I want you to take me away, away from my friends and business, from everyone but you. That's my dream. He caresses her hair. Where shall we go? We have villa on the Mediterranean near me. That's France and I'm German. There, uh, Switzerland. How shall we get there? We're walking down the trenches and getting out at the end. She turns to another lamp with a map on the shade. It's a lovely spot. She points at a spot in Russia. Right in the middle of the revolution. She finds another spot. Here it is. Make God. The bluest blue in the world. And the mountains are reflected in the water. And the music of the cowbells floats across the meadows. And the guns are all day and night. So this is the end of the dream. That's the end. And she turns away, crying. He watches in despair. She walks to a window and holds on to a curtain. He keeps watching intently. Later, the third man toasts with a group of singing German soldiers and colleagues sitting around a table in a dining room.
Another soldier plays piano nearby. In the next room, servants struggle with an intruder. Carl breaks away from them, then continues on to the dining room. They follow. Carl walks in. Two men at the end of the table notice him. And the others do the same, one by one. Carl closes the door. The third man stands and approaches him. Get out of here. Get out before you're thrown out. He stands. Yes, madam. Gentlemen, Captain von Marwitz is the head of Section 8. They all stand. Schaefer. Carl leads Schaefer, the third man, Muller and the other men not in soldiers' uniforms, to another room. The doors are closed. Schaefer, you will go back to Berlin tomorrow and report for duty. Carl turns to the others. These are your orders. You'll have to be quick and clever. Later, at the British office, Bob and his colleague stand. Bob gets a pistol from a drawer and hands it to the colleague. Then he walks to a set of double doors and steps through one. As the colleague waits behind the other, Bob opens a door to a hall and Madeline walks in. Bob, I need your help desperately. So I was warned you might. Come on. They join the colleague, who startles her. It's all right, Scott. I went with you to Paris. Well, what's happened? I found out who's the head of Section 8. Who? She looks down. Marvitz. He's found out who I am, too. The devil he has. Oh, Bob, I must get away from here. If they get me, you remember what happened to the other... That's all right, don't you worry. We'll get you out of this. How about going into hiding for a while? It's impossible. She says. There's nowhere in Sweden where they wouldn't find me. We'll make a boat for Norway. Same thing. It's the same picture. Don't talk. Faber. Bob sits. That gang wouldn't much fancy coming into conflict with the Swedish police, would they? Last thing they'd care to risk. And it's all right. You're going to be as safe as a church if you do as I tell you. Now, here's the program. At the cherry orchard, the dancing girls are high-kicking on stage and smoke wafts through the crowded room. Two of Madeline's old German colleagues walk in. Looking around, they walk along the back of the room toward the bar, where the man Anatole met there sits. The bartender approaches. One of the men places a handful of folded money on the bar. Where are they? For dirty men and women, tomorrow morning. What for? To go shopping? Later at the shop. Good morning, Good morning, Madam. As Gertrude and Colette uncover the furniture to start the day, Madeline goes into the back room, picks up a card from her desk, and drops it, fretting. An older man and woman enter the shop. Good morning. Will you come this way? Madeline looks out through curtains and closes them. At the hotel. Move fast. On the phone. But not till everyone's inside. They should all be in by now. What about the cars? They'll be outside the shop. Right. Let everybody be cheerful. A gay crowd. And above all, no trouble with the police. At the shop, a couple dozen people act as patrons. Madeline turns from the curtains again, thinking. Gertrude enters. Who put the sale notice on the window? 
A sign outside reads special sale. More people walk in. Madeline makes a phone call. Hello. 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 She cranks the phone again and raises the receiver. Hello. Hello. Lowering the receiver, she lets it fall. The two German colleagues arrive by car. They get out and approach another man standing by the doors. They move on inside, where the shop is full of people. Madeline steps away from the curtains again, trying to figure out what to do. She goes to the curtains again, but is met by her colleagues. This way, Madeline. Your customers are waiting for you. Yes, there's a dress in the window. I want you to let me have a look at it. They escort her through the crowd. More crowds are outside, where the police arrive. As the new people make their way in, a detective leading the police has trouble getting through. But gets to Madeline in the doorway. Madeline got him? Yes. Come with me. She walks with him, past Bob. Later in an office. From the information before me, it's quite clear that your so-called dressmaker's business was merely a cloak for the deliberate organization and pursuit of espionage. I'm out of patience with you people who abuse the hospitality of the country that shelters you. It's time an example was made. And in spite of the evidence of uh, Mr. Robert Carter as to your character and so forth, in extenuation of your offense, I'm not sure I oughtn't to sentence you to a term of imprisonment. She shares a look with Bob. On account of your youth, however, I think justice will be met if I sentence you to be deported by the first available boat, and you will be kept in strict attention meanwhile. She almost smiles at Bob as she is taken away. Later at the hotel, Carl turns toward the sound of footsteps and stands. The colleagues enter. Have you got her? Someone denounced her as a French agent. The police arrived and arrested her. Hmm. Carl sits. <laughs> that means she'll sail from Gothenburg. Secret. They leave. And later at the estate, the second man turns the hands to signal to the ship. On the submarine at night, a man brings a message to the captain. Translated, it says, Captain von Marwitz will come aboard tonight. Signed, S-8, Stockholm. Madeline is escorted across a dock by the detective. They walk a gangplank and board the ship followed by a sailor with a suitcase. The detective offers her documents to a mate, who checks them with another official. They accept them, and she moves on. The first man leans on a railing, looking out. The mate leads Madeline, the detective, and the sailor down a hallway. He unlocks a cabin door. Madeline steps inside with the sailor, who drops off her suitcase. When he steps back out, the detective closes the cabin door and locks it. He hands the key to the mate. You can unlock the door when you're outside the three-mile limit. They go separate ways as other passengers look for their cabins.
reverse van tries to open Madeline's door. What are you doing there? Oh, we're 12. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. He walks away. Later, water surges behind the ship as it travels onward. It passes through the open sea. In her cabin, Madeline sleeps restlessly in her bunk. Her eyes open, and she sits up, listening. She stands, then opens curtains on a porthole. She cranes her neck to look around through it, then turns away. She sits on the bunk again, then lies back. She bolts up. Climbing up to the top of the submarine. Carl salutes with another officer, then climbs down to the next platform. And another. With sailors saluting, he climbs into the dinghy with two other sailors. The dinghy heads for the ship. The passengers again rush onto the deck with their life belts, getting organized by the matrons. As the sailors row the dinghy, Carl stares at the ship, where Madeline trudges along the deck without energy. Reaching the ship, a sailor pulls the dinghy closer so Carl can board. Madeline finds a place along a wall between two passengers, and Carl approaches the captain and shares salutes. I want to see your passengers, Captain. The captain leads him away. When Carl reaches Madeline, he slows, and they look at each other. Come with me. He takes her arm. You can't do this. Certainly not. This is a neutral ship. And this lady's a non-competent. She has a Swiss passport, but she's not Swiss. She's a French citizen and a member of the French intelligence. Handing her to a sailor, he salutes the captain. Madeline is escorted down to the dinghy, which she boards. Carl follows. On the bridge of the ship... Full speed ahead! Full speed ahead! Sitting beside her, Carl puts a rain slipper over Madeline's coat, and the dinghy pulls away from the ship. On the submarine, one of two officers with binoculars spots a fishing trawler nearby. He gets his comrade to turn to look at it. As the ship gets further away, the trawler gets closer. On the bridge, a man smokes a pipe on the sub. As the sailors row the dinghy, the sub fires a shot near the trawler. On board, the pipe-smoking man nods to another, who notifies the engine room. He picks up binoculars while the pipe-smoker raises a telescope. 
spotting Carl and Madeline in the dinghy. Just in the nick of time. That'll be Bob Carter's girlfriend in the finish. Cuthbert, I trow that yonder submarine means us but little good. May the speaker fare good, Sir Eustace, as she hand us a round shot from yonder culverin. Hop into the boat now on thy lousy panic party. Aye, aye, sir. He turns to the sailor at the wheel. Excellent, He tosses his pipe away as dozens of men in civilian clothes scramble throughout the trawler. A couple wear women's hats and shawls as some of them rush to a lifeboat and uncover it. Then climb in. On a radio. Enemy submarine bearing green four five. Hang out. One eight double O. One eight double O. More men rush to their stations. As the lifeboat is lowered over the side. The captain lies on the floor of the deck, viewing through a periscope that peeks over the side. Bearing green three five. Bearing green three five. One seven double O. One seven double O. On the submarine, an officer looks through binoculars at the lifeboat pulling away from the trawler. On its deck, one five double O. One five double O. Below, green two five. Sailors wait. One five double O. The submarine passes closer to the trawler. As Carl and Madeline watch from the dinghy. On the trawler, the captain signals to his mate, and they crawl across the deck taking their equipment to another railing. Joined by another man. On the submarine, the Germans keep observing the trawler, which appears harmless but empty. On it... 450. 450. Green 90. Green 90. All guns load. All guns load. Prepare for action. Prepare for action. The men stand. The sailors that seem to be below rush to push on their ceiling, uncovering a huge gun on deck. A British flag is raised. On the sub. More gunwells are uncovered on the trawler. And they aim. The sub fires first. The British fire and hit very close. Carl and Madeline watch the fire being exchanged. A shell lands near the trawler, but another sprays water on the deck of the sub. Two more shots miss the trawler. Unless you sink this ready submarine in 45 seconds, I'll... The British captain turns to see his upper deck get hit. Each side keeps firing. A shell just hits the sub. in the same place. Another reaches the side, and water gushes below. Sailors scramble for the ladder to climb out. Some pull others down to get there. Madeline turns to Carl in the dinghy as the trawler keeps assaulting the submarine. Germans struggle to climb out through the water as others jump off the deck. Two sailors carry an injured comrade up the ladder. Carl watches, open-mouthed, as the trawler decimates the submarine. More sailors abandon ship with life preservers as it begins to tip and sink. Madeline buries her face in Carl's arms, and the sailors in the dinghy stand while the last couple survivors jump and swim through the water. Two more shells finish off the submarine. 
on the trawler. She's fired. Good work. The last of the subs sinks into the sea. The sailors in the dinghy sit. The only sign of the sub is its crew flailing in the water. On the dinghy, Madeline raises her head and watches them. Carl motions for the sailors to row, and they do. The British lifeboat reaches the German survivors. Later, the British flag flies in the wind. A destroyer passes through the water. It approaches the trawler. A sailor sends semaphore messages, which the trawler receives. Destroyer signaling. Some sailors step down from the damaged upper deck, and Madeline is escorted upstairs to the main deck to meet the captain. Got her? Yes. I'm glad we arrived in time. You've had a rather rough passage, haven't you? Find the ship. She stepped over a stray pipe. Well, I have to thank you. Oh, don't thank me. Thank Master Bob. Send. The messages from the destroyer continue. Pulling off. Two. Destroyer. Immediately. Carl reaches the trawler's deck and salutes the captain. I like Captain Bobby. We've managed to rescue some of your men. Show to the captain, will you? The messages are taken to the captain as other survivors board. I assure you, Captain, I'll make you as comfortable as possible. She can phone this fire, sir. He reads the messages and turns again to Carl. I'm sorry. I can't entertain you after all. I've got to hand you over to our destroyer. They salute again, and Carl steps away. He turns back to share a look with Madeline. Then he leaves. The captain goes to the railing and watches. Take Captain Morris to the destroyer. Madeline goes to the railing too and watches him depart. What are they going to do? I'm not going to shoot him, are they? My dear lady, we don't shoot our prisoners of war. He'll be in turn for the duration. As men row the lifeboat away with Carl in it, Madeline rushes down to a platform and watches. She waves, gazing out hopefully. And he waves back. Soon after, the trawler and destroyer sail apart, but parallel. The End This described version of Dark Journey was produced for Movies for the Blind. And that was Dark Journey. Conrad Veidt actually did serve in the German army in World War I. He fought in the Battle of Warsaw, but also caught jaundice and pneumonia and had to be sent to hospital, where he heard from his actress girlfriend back home saying she'd gotten a job in a theater. When he didn't recuperate enough to return to battle, the army let him join his girlfriend in the theater, and his acting career began. Taking a week off for some other work, but when we come back, I have something very special for you guys. A documentary which only came out two years ago. It's pretty fascinating, and I'm lucky it's been put in the public domain so I can describe it for you. So come back in a couple weeks to hear all about it.
For more information and links about the movies, about description, and how to subscribe, go to the blog, moviesfortheblind.com, where you can also find out about this podcast, Creative Commons License. And the movies are from the Internet Archive, so please support universal access to human knowledge by visiting and donating at archive.org. Thank you for downloading and for listening. Be back in two weeks. Take care. Take care.